Blog Talk Radio. Blog Talk Radio. You are now listening to the key. Unlocking the doors to your possibilities on Blog Talk Radio. Radio on this Saturday, this very hot Saturday in New York, coming to you live. Today we're going to be talking about debt and how debt is the new slavery. And we have a very special guest on the line. But before I announce our special guest, um, we have a, an overview of what you can expect from the keys from Brother James. Greetings, all. This is a great opportunity to um, uh, start it off with breaking down what the theme of Keys represents. Uh, I am Brother James, uh, co-hosting with uh, Sister Rafika this this afternoon, and we thought that the theme should deal with the seven keys to love, peace, and happiness. The first key that we thought that uh, uh, would help us uncover the uh, unlimited um, possibilities within us was the spiritual components, getting divine guidance. We are looking forward to discussing things in that realm um, as time goes on. Uh, Second key is the mental aspect, intellectual stimulation, you know, using the creative forces of those who are in business and um, in, in industry, science and technology coming forward and sharing their gifts with us and and, and um, stimulating our minds to learn more. We also want to discuss the third key at some point during the next uh, several weeks, uh, dealing with our, our physical body. Our bodies are our temple. We want to discuss how we can improve our uh, lifestyles through eating, exercising, and uh, proper thinking. Um, our fourth um, key um, to love, peace, and happiness is understanding uh, our financial world. Uh, we want to bring in entrepreneurs in to discuss uh, how to start business and how to stay in business. We want to uh, want to um, have um, um, special guests come on board and teach us about debt and overcoming debt because debt is slavery and all other types of money matters. So that's a very um, special area to look into because I think we all could uh, agree that we can learn, need to learn more about getting out of debt and controlling our finances. Um, the fifth area of the keys is emotional, and it's going to be dealing with relationships. And everything that we do um, ha- has some type of relationship, whether it's how we raise our children, 
how we relate to our parents, how we deal with one another in terms of uh, business or uh, neighbors, how we deal with each other in terms of our spouses, uh, our loved ones, and our special person in our lives. These areas are so key to our happiness that we believe we have to bring those in who can help us um, better uh, achieve happiness in that area. Um, the two, uh, the last two areas in terms of the keys uh, that we will be discussing is the arts and sciences. We believe, um, well, we, we know that we have contributed to society in many ways, um, and I think that we need to constantly put those things out there so that our young people could realize that they, too, can contribute in the arts and sciences. And lastly is our social awareness. Um, we could talk all these things, but if, if our world around us is going straight to hell and we can't do anything about it or won't do anything about it, all this is just talk. So we want to be aware of what's happening in our community. So we will be bringing forth current events, things that are um, changing so dynamically in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and we want uh, for you all to chime in, uh, share your experiences, and help us along to the pathway to opening the doors to new possibilities through the Keys Block Talk Radio. Thank you. Uh, Brother James, thanks for that overview and giving our listening audience some idea of what they can expect listening to um, the Keys. And uh, one of our theme songs for the Keys is uh, William Devon's Just Be Thankful. And we always want to give thanks for all that we've got in life. And the other one is Love the Need of Love by Stevie Wonder. This world is in critical need of love. We're going to give you the opportunity to call in and ask our special guests some questions. And as we talked about earlier, or as I mentioned earlier in our intro, we're going to be talking about debt and how debt is the new slavery and offering some solutions to help us begin to live what we are coining from um, our special guests as D-Free. And without further ado, our special guest is Dr. DeForest B. Sores, who is the uh, senior pastor of First Baptist Church of Lincoln Gardens. He's also a motivational speaker, a community organizer, and the author of the uh, book that is just taking the debt community, or I should say the whole concept of debt, to another level. And the name of the book is D-Free. Breaking Free from Financial Slavery. And Dr. Soares is going to discuss uh, what consumer debt is in America, some of the root causes and how it can affect you, and also, like, like we said before, some practical solutions um, to help you get control of your spending and understanding why we allow ourselves to be in debt. Why, why is debt so ac accepted in our society today? Um, it's almost like as if you're not in debt, something's just not right with you. So, uh, Dr. Soares, are you there? Good evening, Sister Rafika, Brother James. Um, we want you to just go ahead and, and just give an overview before we get into the, um, the question and answer segment of the uh, book, D-Free, and what inspired you to go on this journey of uh, bringing awareness to people about debt. Um, how did it start for you? Sure. Well, thank you very much, and uh, let me begin by thanking you for this important work. It's important that we use all possible technology and media 
to inform and empower our people. Uh, not enough of us are taking advantage of the technologies that allow for this kind of platform. And so I want to commend you and Brother James and the entire movement around the key to um, for for what you're doing. And then I want to thank your listeners. Uh, one of one of the things I'll describe in my own journey from debt to freedom uh, was my need to change the media that I related to. Uh, there there is free empowering information all around us in books, in periodicals, on television, on radio, on the internet, and and sometimes the the the, the same time invested in a different media outlet can change our lives. And so to the extent that there's anyone listening to us now, I want to congratulate you because the choice you made to tune in to something of substance versus something that silly uh, can be life-changing not only for you but for future generations in your family. Uh, Sister Rafika, as you know, I, I've been working for the betterment of black people um, since I was 16 years old. I was 16 when Martin Luther King was assassinated, and uh, it was on that day that I discovered that my mother's mother was sitting at her dining room table with tears in her eyes, and I couldn't figure out really why she was crying. I'd never seen my grandmother cry before, and when I asked her what was wrong, she told me they shot Dr. King today. Well, we lived in, in New Jersey, Dr. King was in the South. Uh, my grandmother was a domestic worker. She wasn't an activist. She was Pentecostal. Dr. King was, was Baptist, and so I still didn't get it. But I decided on that day that whatever Dr. King did to cause my grandmother to feel that way about him, uh, I wanted to do something similar to be a, as significant to someone's life as, as he was to my grandmother's life. And so uh, in 1968, April 4th, I made up my mind that I wanted to live a life and grow into some kind of work that benefited black people. Uh, in my early 20s, I went to work for a national civil rights organization. And by the end of the 70s, it was clear to me that something had changed. Now, it was clear that the drug epidemic had undermined many of our movements, it was clear that the federal government had disrupted many of our organizations, but it was even deeper than that. Uh, something significant shifted in African-American life, and I just I really couldn't figure out what it was. Um, and so I spent literally uh, moments every day of my life driving around, flying around, giving speeches, doing work, uh, asking myself the question, what happened to black people? You know, what happened to the black people who, who taught ourselves how to read after we got out of slavery? What happened to the black people that started our own colleges when whites wouldn't allow us into theirs? What happened to the black people who started our own insurance companies when Prudential and Metropolitan and other white insurance companies would not allow us to even buy insurance? What happened to the black people that started their own record companies when CBS wouldn't record us? I mean, I just I couldn't figure out what had happened to the black people that I saw and admired as a child. Uh, 
and and now as an adult, by the time we got to the 1980s, it was as if the entire race had changed. And and it took me it took me a long time trying to figure it out, study it. See, the easy the easy answer is that slavery uh, had such an impact on us that it that it will never go away, and that it undermined any possibility that we had for um, for progress. And and the corollary to that is that racism, because racism is alive and well, just stops people who are of African descent from progressing politically and economically uh, forever, and that institutional racism was impenetrable. Uh, the problem, the problem with that theory was this: uh, that that uh, racism did not seem to be impacting all of us equally. And even, and furthermore, blacks from the Caribbean and from Africa uh, seem to be affected differently by this institutional racism than African Americans. And so, uh, to get beyond the analytical down to the practical, by the mid uh, '90s and early 2000s, I began to get a sense of what what had happened between 1970, which is pretty much movement and and the time I began asking the question and the answer in in a nutshell uh, the answer is what happened to black people hello yes go ahead my brother continue on okay yeah the, 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 the answer in, in a word is consumerism if you if if you if you need one word to describe the difference between uh, African Americans in the 1980s and African Americans in the 1950s, the the answer to the question is consumerism. Consumerism means that the entire mindset on an individual basis and the entire economy on a macroeconomic basis is driven by people spending money. And what 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 changed in our community, and coincidentally in the whole country, between the 1960s and the 1980s, uh, it was very calculated. It was very controlled. It, it was it was very well researched. Was uh, in a word consumerism. While African Americans in the 1960s were working very hard. To secure our basic rights while we were marching and being imprisoned and organizing and protesting uh, Madison Avenue the advertising industry began an effort to change the way products were sold in this country and the same forces the same forces that figured out a way to get Americans to buy Volkswagens, even though we were at war with Germany, the same forces that convinced Americans to uh, begin buying products, not based on how well they function, but how well they make you feel. Those forces began to permeate this country, and the convergence of sophisticated, psychologically-based marketing coupled with uh, access to credit, because in the 1970s, 
we began having a proliferation of credit cards. And um, for the first time in history, people were able to pull out plastic and do unlimited spending. Th- those, those two factors contributed to a shift in the way Americans see themselves and see the country, and including African Americans. And we began a downward spiral into a culture of debt so that our parents worked hard to uh, preserve prosperity for the future generation. And uh, from 1970s on, we began working hard to uh, cut off possibilities for the future. We stopped saving money. We started charging and going into debt. And the, uh, the big financial institutions that profit from that made unprecedented profits, and, and we remain slaves to this lifestyle. So once I saw that, uh, I had to figure out what to do about it, and I started in my own community, in my own life, and in my own church. So, so that's um, a high-level response. Yeah. Yeah, you talked about if you had to use one word to um, describe it all would be um, consumerism. Yes. And and what, how are you defining consumerism? Consumerism is is uh, when the the driving force and the driving power, both on an individual and on a social level, um, is revolves around the purchasing of goods and services, spending money. It's 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 a, it's it's technically it's the social and economic order. And it it is driven by purchasing as the national and personal priority. It's what caused George Bush after 9/11 to go out and tell Americans go shopping. That's consumerism. Mm. It's mm. what causes economists now to measure the health or lack thereof of the economy by by shopping. And so when when Americans shop, economists say the economy is doing well. And when Americans don't shop, they say America is doing poorly. And so the, uh, the, the, the extent to which, for instance, people do Christmas shopping or summer shopping is the extent to which economic health is measured. And to think that, that, that despite the, the billions of dollars this country spends on war, despite the billions of dollars this country spends on political games, despite all of those things, what will happen, and you'll see this in the presidential election, what will happen is that very smart people will describe the American economy as if it's our fault that the American economy is not doing well because we're not shopping enough. So, so consumerism, to- consumerism, in that sense, is is more sinister than racism because it's not limited to one race uh, or culture, but th- there are there are powerful economic forces that uh, facilitate our shopping by giving us access to credit so we can buy things we can't afford. And, and what consumerism says is that the most important uh, the most important contribution 
people can make to the quality of their lives and to the life of the body politic is to shop and spend money. Mm. That's consumerism. Mm-hmm. So what are the root, the root causes of, of um, consumerism? How, do, how are entities able to influence people? And it has to be deeper than just a TV commercial. Oh, it's much deeper than a TV commercial. What I talk about in my in my workbook, actually, which I don't go too deeply into this in my book, but the companion that goes to it, I talk about the need to understand and combat seven cultures because this culture of debt really is, is not the problem. It's the result of a problem. And we have, you see, consumerism and spending more than you can afford and not spend, not saving for the next generation, and paying high interest rates to have things that don't last. Uh, I talk about seven cultures. Let me run run them down quickly. One, we have the culture of greed, uh, and you know every human has has a proclivity towards greed. But when the culture makes greed popular, like it did in the 1990s, there was a movie called Wall Street that came out, and uh, in that movie, one of our fa- famous actors was coined the phrase that greed is good. So you have the culture mm. of greed, and the culture of greed says that, that anything I do that results in my having more is justified, so the end justifies the means. So we celebrate greedy people despite how they, how they uh, achieve their success. Then there's the culture of impatience, and the culture of impatience says that I don't want to wait until I can afford something to own it, I'd like to buy it now, and I, and I I would rather pay 28% interest than to wait patiently for my ability to afford it. Then there's the culture of ignorance, and and ignorance the culture of ignorance implies that uh, as long as I can get what I want, I don't really care to know the facts. There was a doctor in our church who was paying uh, in the high 20s on interest on his car. He was driving a late model car. He was paying, um, I think it was 28% interest, and didn't know it because what we discovered was that when people go to buy a car today, they generally don't ask the interest rate. All they want to know is the monthly payments. And if the mm. monthly payments are 299 they'll pay 80% interest for nine years. So, so, so there's a culture in our society that promotes and celebrates ignorance. Then there's the culture of fantasy. The culture of fantasy is what makes Kim Kardashian, a multimillionaire, for having no redeeming qualities and making no social contribution. We worship and celebrate fantasy over reality. And then there's the culture of denial. Denial meaning uh, when, when, when it becomes more common to deny the truth than to embrace the truth. Then what, what that means is that to be... Uh, to be a person that seeks truth is to be countercultural. Uh, what happened to black people in the 1950s and 1960s was that the Nation of Islam emerged as an antidote for that culture of denial. Black people were in denial, so we called ourselves colored and Negro, and we were happy doing it. And Elijah Muhammad came along and said, no, we, we are black people, and changed the culture. But until that time, we were in a culture of denial as long as we embraced the terms that people use to describe us, we could never rise above the limitations imposed on us. 
Then there's the culture of victimhood, where as long as I feel as though I'm a victim, I'm not responsible for my present or my future. And then finally, the, the, the last culture I talk about is the culture of prosperity, where uh, even in churches we find uh, preachers promoting prosperity over authenticity. So if you look at this whole idea of, of these cultures converging, when all of these cultures converge, if I feel I'm a victim, if prosperity is my priority, if I'm in denial of, of the truth, if, uh, if, if I celebrate fantasy over reality, if I'm willing to remain ignorant at all costs, if I'm not patient enough to wait until I can afford something to buy it, and if uh, I celebrate greedy people, then, of course, I will drown in debt and, and think that I'm doing well. And that, that's why we have, that's why we have, for instance, uh, six out of ten National Basketball Association players file bankruptcy within three years of ending their careers. I mean, the minimum wage in the NBA is $375,000 a year. Mm. Yet people like Allen Iverson, who made $200 million over his career, end up broke within three years. Why is that? That's not an economic problem. That's a spiritual, emotional, psychological uh, challenge that, that, that is, that is uh, fostered by these cultures. And that's why I don't call any of what I do financial literacy. Anybody who thinks you can just have a financial literacy campaign to solve this problem is, is out of their minds. We are dealing with a spiritual, psychological, cultural war. And unless we attack it on that level, like we did our racial identity in the 1950s and 1960s, we're not going to make the impact that we need to make. Well, you, you mentioned a, a spiritual and psychological war as you was uh um, bulleting very briefly, and as I know it's a lot deeper than you're, you're saying right now, I guess due to time, but as you uh, bulletin the seven cultures, that's immediately what came to my mind. It, it, it would take a spiritual, uh, uh, emotional, and psychological awareness that you are in one of these categories. So how do we get to the point where we know and we're recognizing the category that we're in? Especially well, that's interesting, uh, Rafika. I, I, um, I, I was tempted to call my book something else because I knew that the word slavery would be frightening to people. But mm -hmm. I decided at this stage of my life, first and foremost, to call it what it is, not sugar-coated. Secondly, I, I know that, that if, if, if African Americans agree on anything, we certainly agree that slavery was wrong and that it injured us. And so I just I felt that it was important to be straight up with folks and call it what it is, that, that it's, not, it's not just bad. It's actual slavery. And we, understand, we understand that a slave is someone whose destiny is controlled by another. We understand that a slave is someone whose best efforts contribute to the prosperity of another. We understand that a slave has, has no power of decision-making because he or she uh, is under the power and influence of another. And, and, and so uh, since there's a proverb that says that the borrower is slave to the lender, I just decided to go on a crusade to make sure that people understand that we need more than knowledge about how to balance a checkbook. That's financial literacy. 
we, we need to attack this issue of debt and ultimately financial lack the same way our forebears attacked the issue of slavery. You cannot solve a problem that you won't admit exists. And when our children line up all night long for the right to buy a pair of sneakers for $185 uh, that they can't afford, they're slaves. When our people, when our people uh, have more money on their backs than they have in their bank accounts, then we're slaves. We have bought into a lie that's going to deny us the privilege of being a blessing to future generations. Both of my grandmothers died with houses paid for, and future generations benefited from their sacrifice and labor. Uh, our generation is not headed towards doing that. Well, I'm going to hold all thoughts right now, and I'm going to um, remind our listening audience that they will be able to call in very shortly. I just wanted to give Dr. Soares an opportunity to um, plant the seeds in the field, so to speak, um, so that the listening audience had clarity in what the D-Free movement is all about. And the call-in number, just so you have it, not so you can call now because we're not ready, but the call-in number is area code 646-716-5971. And in the words of Bob Marley, who said in one of his songs, emancipate yourselves from mental slavery because none but ourselves can free our minds. I'm going to ask our illustrious engineer, Brother Forrest, to take us to a commercial break. And when we come back, we'll pick up where we left off with the D-Free movement. Well, Brother Forrest. Hello. Brother Forrest. Well, it seems, Dr. Soares, that the uh, powers that be, maybe it's the uh, influence of the Bob Molly quote, we should go ahead and continue on. Perhaps we're just not ready to use the technology for a commercial break. Okay. So you were talking about the seven cultures, and we agree um, that it is a spiritual and emotional war going on within uh, ourselves that cause us to spend. And you, you have um, some um, behaviors that you've identified in, um, under that consumerism umbrella of different types of spending habits. Uh, can you talk about that for a few minutes? Yeah, and, and uh, I appreciate this format because we normally don't have enough time to go this deeply into it. Uh, we normally do eight to ten minute interviews, and we just have to be shallow. But I um, I coined this phrase "D free" because I want I did want to put the emphasis of my work on the solution and not the problem. I mean, if all you if if all you study is failure, then what you'll get is failure. If mm -hmm. if all you see are problems, then all you get is problems. And so, the the whole idea is to be is to focus on freedom. That that's what the abolitionists focused on with, with the Underground Railroad, and that's what that's what I'm focusing on. And the freedom is the freedom from and a freedom to. Every freedom from uh, prepares you for freedom to. So it's freedom from debt, freedom from living uh, above your means, which is deficits. Freedom from paying your bills late and having high late fees and bad credit scores, that's delinquencies. Uh, 
And so our, the focus of our work has been to help people avoid debt, and you avoid debt essentially by paying as you go. You avoid delinquencies because delinquencies cost money, and they, they cost credibility, and, and they, they undermine your economic strength. Uh, and, and so freedom from delinquencies and freedom from deficits. Most Americans and most African Americans don't live on a budget. Uh, Jesus once said, who would build a tower without first counting the cost? And to live without a budget simply means that you have no plan, you have no strategy for economic success or survival. So the, the idea is that if you're free from debt, delinquencies, and deficits, then you can be free to make deposits. That's another D. You can be free to having your name on deeds. That means that you take the money that, that you are wasting and invest it in things like real estate that have value, and your name then goes on a deed as opposed to being on a debt. And uh, finally, if you're living on a budget, you can invest money in other kinds of instruments and so the third D is dividends. And so we, we ask people to, to let us help them go from debts to deposits, from delinquencies to deeds, and from deficits to dividends. Uh, and, and the whole idea is this. Most of us have much more money than we know we have. Our problem starts with knowing what's happening with our money. I used to say to people, uh, actually, I used to say to my dad, I don't know where my money goes, as if my money got up at night and left while I was sleeping. I mean, the fact is, our money goes where we take it, but most of us don't don't track our spending. We don't have a budget, and as a result, we spend much more money on things we don't need than we really realize. In Texas, African Americans spend collectively $1.1 billion a year on lottery tickets, 1.1 billion. That's just blacks in Texas, and it's uh, it's true that the odds of winning the lottery are 175 million to one. Well, if blacks in Texas spent a billion dollars on anything, on education, on real estate, on nail salons, on anything, uh, it would it would contribute much more significantly to our economy than, than buying lottery tickets. Now, most of us don't, don't sit down and, and write down every time we buy a lottery ticket, but, but the University of Texas says that the average, uh, well, actually, uh, it's uh, 58% of, of the blacks in Texas spend, on average, of $57 a month on lottery tickets, $57 a month on lottery tickets. Well, $57 a month can buy a million dollars in life insurance. $57 a month in an investment account over 20 years can have, can make a significant contribution to a college fund. So I'm asking people in the first instance to really take a hard look and make some very specific decisions about the money that we do have. One cup of Starbucks coffee every morning before work is a thousand dollars a year. In ten in 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 twenty years, you spent enough money at Starbucks to get a community college degree. So before we talk about increasing the minimum wage and getting more money, uh, it's important for us to take control of what we do have. 
and that that's a decision that's a that's a mental decision to be followed by specific behavior so that's just an example of the kind of uh, behavioral changes we're asking people to make but but it first requires people conceding that this is an important subject and that it's possible you know I was wondering uh what 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 was the response that you've gotten over the, is it about a year that you've uh, launched the book, Be Free? And wh what has been the response when you mentioned the word slavery with debt? Uh, usually people start out angry and disagreeing. Um, <laughs> Did you say angry? <laughs> angry. Yeah, angry. But, if they, but, but it only takes me about 12 minutes to 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 uh to get some consensus around the point the fact of the matter is when whenever uh you lose control to another of your own behavior you're a slave and the first time we were slaves we were dragged here against our will and we were forced physically into slavery this new slavery we volunteer for we sign up for and we brag mm -hmm. about yes and that's the key. We sign up for it. And, yeah, we sign up for it. We're the one. Nobody makes us buy late model cars uh, and pay high interest on, on the car notes. We'd rather, uh, unfortunately, the culture, this culture of prosperity, we'd rather look good and be broke than to downscale our image and have some resources. Now, that's a, that, that's a national problem. That's just not a black problem. But with... The average white family having a net worth of $100,000, plus or minus a few, and the average black family having a net worth of $5,000, plus or minus a few, black people can least afford that. We cannot afford to be more concerned about our image than our substance and our look and our lifestyle. We can't afford it. And I'm not saying anybody can afford it, but if, if, if someone cannot afford it, it's us. But but don't you think that a part of this is is um, going into the idea that um, we're the conditioning in in society and it's it's not pointed to any particular ethnic group but it does hit hard to the black community that um, we just we we just never can get enough we we buy a car and by the end by mid mid year they're already advertising the new features of the next model and it's yes. it's just wheel that we're on as a people, it doesn't matter if it's a car, if it's if it's the book, you got a new edition, if it's a video game, there's another one coming out. I mean, it's just constant in, in every facet of our existence. There is never enough. We're, we're sort of, we're taught not to be satisfied, and we accept it. We're taught not to be satisfied, and it is, in fact, exacerbated by historic racism, because in America, African Americans have had the greatest challenge in being respected, in finding significance, in having opportunity. We, we, we are the most frustrated. We are the most maligned. And it is true that as African Americans, in the absence of having access to all of the substance that society has to offer, we have grabbed hold of these trinkets and items as a substitute, you know, in the book I talk about three types of spending. The first type is spending for significance, uh, and and 
and that that I call compensatory spending. Many of our children uh, don't even realize why they want $185 sneakers. Well, if your father owns Nike, you, you can go barefoot and feel good about yourself. But if the only access you have to significance is wearing Nikes, then your culture drives you towards that. And so there is a link between historic racism and the consumer behavior of black people. That's why we've got to break free from this cycle of psychological oppression because we are buying into our own uh, subjugation. When we buy into the culture, when we buy into consumerism, we are contributing to our own oppression. And that doesn't mean you can't look good, you can't dress well, but when, when, when we believe that it's more important to wear some red shoes and to have a savings account, then we're, we're contributing to our own oppression because at the end of the day, you've got to have some economic capacity to make it in this society. Well, you, you hit it on the head when you talked about um, the culture. It, it's also a part of the culture to pick on each other when you're walking to an environment and someone will say, is that a, is that a, a bag by a particular designer? And yeah. you'll say no, and they'll go and they'll look at you with a smirk or something or try to belittle you as if that you have less worth because your bag does not have that name or that label or that emblem that represents a higher cost purchase, a high cost purchase. And we we tell you what happened to me. I was driving a, a three year old Ford expedition and I went to a black church to be the guest minister. <laughs> and when I arrived there, the parking lot people would not allow me to park in the guest speaker's parking space because when they saw the car I was driving in, they assumed I could not possibly be who I was supposed to be. And that's how bad it gets. So they yeah. looked at my car. They looked at my car to yeah. go to church, and they said, well, <laughs> Because when I, I when I went to park there, they said you can't park there. I said why not? They said it's for the guest speaker. I said I am the guest speaker, and the guy said our guest speaker is Buster Soares. I said well who do you think I am? He said you can't be Buster Soares. He just he he didn't even ask me. Yeah. And and so that disease is why a magazine quoted an 18 year old young black man who said I can tell what kind of person you are by the sneakers that you wear. Hmm. And as long as we judge people, you know, we Dr. King said that he did not want America to judge his children by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, only for us to become a people who judge each other by the things that we wear and own, as opposed to the quality of our character. Mm, I agree. It's a, it's, it's a real disease. We've been conditioned, and I, I'm on a crusade to, to help set some captives free. Because we don't really know. We don't realize how crazy we are because we don't talk about it. We don't discuss it. Our, our churches, in large measure, where most of our people go, are making the problem worse. We've got preachers now. You know, when I was coming up, uh, to be a legitimate preacher, you had to drive a Cadillac. Today, in many, in many cities, if you don't drive uh, a Rolls Royce or a Bentley, they consider you an, an unsuccessful preacher. Hmm. Or if your church is not right. a big, fancy church. Right. Or if you're not on television. 
or 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 that kind of thing. And so we we have got to if if Black America is going to get well, it's going to start right here. And and what are the core tenets of D free? The core tenets: uh, pay as you go, pay your bills on time, and live within your means. So how does a person get to that point of paying as you go? We, 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 we live in a world where we charge something, the credit card company calls us, we hang up the phone, or I remember you having a conversation one time or in your book you also mentioned that you thought when the, when the, critics, when the creditors would call you, you would tell them they should be happy. Right, because if I paid my bills on time, they wouldn't have a job. Didn't have a job. I mean, that's I how crazy I was. I thought I was contributing to the economy by not paying my bills on time. That's well, right. the, I talk about four levels. I talk about four levels. We can go into detail um, as you desire, uh, but the four levels of these. One, get started. Now, to get started means that you believe it's possible. To get started means that you 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 embrace the reality that there's a better way to live. Uh, sometimes it takes hitting rock bottom to get started, but get started. How do you get started? The first thing you do is you start writing down every penny that you spend. You have to find out where your money is going. What am I spending money on? And if you do that for 30 days, you're on your way to freedom. Then, of course, what you want to do is uh, to get started, identify what your sources of income are. Now, in, in the workbook, uh, what, what I'm hoping to do is to help people not only identify their existing income, but to show people how they can increase their income. But you have to get started. So that's level one. Just get started. Admit that you have a problem. Look at how much I had to spend. I had to look at how much I was spending on neckties. I was spending too much money on neckties. How many neckties does a man need? And everybody has their little quirky behavior that that will reveal something to them about them. We don't. We can't start with slavery uh, from the 1800s. We can't start with racism. We can't start by analyzing the Tea Party. We can't start by hoping the minimum wage was increased. The, the reality is, if most of us made more money, we just make more debt. So you have to get started. That's level one. And I have a whole series of of commitments and exercises that I ask people to engage in for level one. But the most important is. To where are you spending money right now? That's number one. If you're spending $57 a month on lottery tickets, you're going to find that out. And then level two is get control. Once you get started, then I teach you how to get control of what you've what you've discovered about yourself. How to, how do you get control? Part of the process is finding people who want to do what you want to do. I mean, if all of my friends are, are, are going out every Friday night spending $100 a night at a bar, then I need some new friends because I can't afford to spend $100 every Friday night at a bar. <clears throat> if all of my friends are buying lottery tickets every Monday night, spending $40, $50 a week on lottery tickets, I need some new friends. But I've got to get control. I've got to make a list of all of my debts. Everybody that I owe, and I've got to start paying off the smallest debts first and celebrating at the end of each payment. Okay, and the third is, level is to get ahead. Don't, don't let, and by getting ahead, I mean, you know, start, put, start an emergency fund, put some money aside, get some insurance.
start a college fund, start your retirement fund. Almost 90% of the people who go to work every day today in this country don't save enough to retire. Now, now the process can be brutal. When I started this process myself, I decided that I had to sell my car. I was driving a big, new Lincoln Continental. This was back in the day. And I decided that I couldn't afford to spend $500 a month on, on, on a car payment when my salary was only $2,000 a month. I sold my Lincoln Continental. I bought a used two-door uh, Honda with no air conditioning, stick shift. I bought it cash. I didn't have any car payments. That move alone uh, benefited me at the rate of $6,000 a year. I was paying $500 a month when I had the Lincoln. I sold the Lincoln. Now that $6,000 was used to pay off my debt. So you want to get ahead. And then, so level one is get, get started. Level two is get control. Level three is to get ahead. And then level four is to give back. I don't believe anybody is totally free until they help somebody else get free. That's the Harriet Tubman in me. That's what I learned from the old days. Black people being free individually was never enough. It's always about helping someone else achieve what you've achieved. And furthermore, strategically, it's easier to sustain progress that you've made when you're helping other people make the same progress. So whether it's one person, whether it's a class, whether it's your family, what I believe is that we've got to combat this culture. We've got to build a movement. And to facilitate that, I've created a website called the Billion Dollar Paydown. I'll be rolling it out soon. I want uh, black people to pay off a billion dollars in debt and then take that billion dollars that they've been spending on bills and invest it in themselves. Okay, let's recap those um four strategies that you just laid out. One, level one is get started. Just initiative. The journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. Get started. Next is get control. Get start control. Something. Right. Do something. Right. The third one is get ahead. Get ahead. Start looking at the future. Being out of debt is not the goal. Being out of debt is the first step you take towards the goal. You want to have some savings. You want to have some ownership. You want to be a part of uh, something that will benefit your children and your future. You want to be covered in, in, in case of emergency. And the fourth level is to give back. Give back. Help someone else. Uh, real freedom is helping someone else become free. Yes, yeah, knowledge is what you learn and wisdom is what you do with it. So we're going to hold off on rest and uh, give out that phone number one more time um, before we go to a commercial break. And the number is area code 646-716-5971. Again, area code 646-716-5971. And I think it's a good time after commercial to take some phone calls. So if our illustrious engineer, Brother Forrest, would go ahead and... This portion of the key was brought to us by Moon107.com. Moon107, fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The women's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories, 
and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cuffed shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, bath accessories, and inspirational music imported from Africa, India, and Asia, as well as jewelry and accessories. Moon 107 fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Don't forget to visit moon107.com. Our number is 646-716-5971. 646-716-5971. And don't forget to press 1 after you dial in if you have a question or a comment. That's 646-5971. And press the number 1 let us know if you have a question or a comment. Okay, <laughs> we're here with Dr. Soares. Uh, he's talking about the D-free movement, the debt-free movement, breaking free from financial slavery. And uh, Brother Forrest, do we have uh, callers ready to t- talk to Dr. Soares? Yes, uh, Sister Rafika, Dr. Soares. We have three callers along. We have uh, five people in the chat room, but nobody has a question at this moment, so I'm going to let you continue on and out. May have to interrupt and let the person ask their question, okay? Okay, that's fine. Um, just give All us right. some kind of um, grunt or something um, so we'll know to stop. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'm yes. over it. <laughs> um, you know, uh, Dr. Sorry, one of the things I was also thinking about uh, as we were laying it out earlier in the first hour of our show is um, what, what do you think will be the biggest challenge one will face in even just launching the first step? Well, the biggest challenge is believing that it's possible to live without debt. It's belief. Uh, And that's the biggest challenge with any change in life. What happens is our habits converge with our observations. And because we see everyone else drowning in debt and because we have habits that we haven't even thought about, we we confine ourselves to the right now. We accept and embrace reality as if it's final. And so the the the, the first the first challenge is belief. I was um, walking through a hotel ballroom in California back in the mid 1980s, and I overheard a speaker who was addressing uh, the group that I was going to address later that evening. And I overheard him saying to the group that they should all uh, purchase their cars using cash. And I thought I thought I thought I was hearing things. And I literally I stopped walking, sat down to listen to what this man was saying. He was saying 
essentially what I'm saying now. I mean, he was he he helped begin my awakening process. He said that when you buy a car using uh, credit or financing a car, you know that you pay significant amounts greater than the car is either worth or the car even costs. And so his his philosophy was that you you pay off your car and then keep the car. And then you make car payments to yourself. You save the amount of money you used to making car payments every single month. And you keep driving that old car until you have enough money to buy your new car with cash. And you never have a car payment. But I thought the man was completely insane. But the more I thought about it and the more I looked at it, the more I realized how, how right he was. It took me a few years, but uh, once I began living that way, it changed my life. But... What I'm saying is that my initial response was that there was something wrong with the man, which meant that I wouldn't give any consideration to the plan. When I, when I tell people, even in my own congregation, that it's possible to live that free, you can, I can almost see the words bouncing off their heads. They just don't believe it. And if you don't believe something, you won't try it. You won't try it. Yeah. And so what we do uh, through my website and through other uh, activities that I engage in, we constantly um, we constantly provide testimonials from people who are doing it. And the more people see normal people paying off their bills, paying off their student loans, paying off their cars, paying off their mortgages, the more people can see people doing that and hear from normal people, then the more likely they are to believe they can do it. You know, if if she can do it, I can do it too. So I spent a lot of my time gathering testimonies from people so, 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 because I believe the testimonies of others will be more effective than the preaching that comes from me. I think that segues into um, the next uh, thought that I was having about the whole D-free because, you know, there's so many levels of it, as you talked about earlier. It's behavioral, it's cultural, and also um, belief. And that, right. they even think about the relationship between um, believing that you can be debt-free and being debt-free sort of merges with faith and action. Yeah. Well, you know, belief is the first step. Belief that it's possible is important, but belief that it's preferable is equally important. You know, again, when I was paying my bills late, paying late fees, had bad credit scores, I'll tell you, Rafika, I didn't think anything was wrong with it. All of my friends were broke. None of us had any money. We were all living on credit cards. And something had to happen in me to convince me that this was just not a good way to live. And so I spend some time showing people the effects of this debt. You know, in our church and in our larger community, the number one reason for divorce is when couples have disagreements over money. The number one reason for absenteeism on jobs is because of financial stress among workers. The number one reason for substance abuse is because of financial um, stress. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at this issue of finance, the inability to manage our finances, 
the lack of control over our finances is really it's harming our relationships and our health. And so there there are there are what I'll call non financial reasons connected to the need to be in charge of our finances. And then and then, you know, we find ourselves in such embarrassing situations. Uh I mentioned both in the book and the workbook that people often come to the church and I'm sure you find this at the mosque and and, and need need us to pay for their funerals or their loved ones' funerals. And the fact that we have no insurance. I mean, how many funerals can a church afford to pay for? If I pay for one, uh, then how do I say no to the next? Uh, You have to have enough insurance. This this is basic, basic living 101. So you can spare yourself the pain of embarrassing situations, uh, emergencies. You know, I had a flat tire in my car. Two weeks ago, and I was telling uh, I was telling my people, uh, you know, flat tires are not an emergency. Tires are made of rubber; they're not indestructible. You get flat tires, which means that if you're driving a car and you can't afford a flat tire, you can't afford a car. Mm. You can't afford a car. A flat tire is not an emergency. A flat tire is a predictable occurrence, which is not an emergency. An emergency is when a hurricane comes and knocks your house down and you need a place to go. That was unpredictable. But predictable things are not emergencies. And the only way to be prepared for emergencies is to have some money put aside for emergencies because emergencies happen. Excuse me, Doc. Uh, the family, we have a caller from 601 area code 342. Uh, Extension has a question like that. 601-342, you're live on the radio with Dr. Soris, and I host... Sister Rafika. Uh Yes, good afternoon, Dr. Therese, um and everyone listening. My name is uh, Jeremy Guin. I'm with the I'm the president of the Greater Jackson Solar Alliance here in Jackson, Mississippi, and we've been attempting to work on bridging the technology divide, um, and we've been able to allocate some funds to it, and been able to identify that there is more of a pressing need to get communities involved in debt reduction in order to facilitate a a healthy community. Um, There's there's programs out there, you know, 12-step programs for Narcotics Anonymous, um, Alcoholics Anonymous, Gamblers Anonymous. Do you personally know of any programs that are set up for, like, a 12-step program to be debt-free? Yes, thank you for the question. First of all, there is a debtors anonymous program, and so if 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 you wanted to set up a twelve step program for uh, for debt, that exists. In fact, the book. Uh, if you look in the back of my book, I think I quote the book in my book. It's uh, how to uh, how to how to get out of debt and stay out of debt. It's by a guy named uh, Gerald Mundis, M-U-N-D-I-S, and uh, that book it describes the um, Debtors Anonymous program. That's number one. Now, having said that, there are some cultural uh, distinctives that African Americans need to address as African Americans that go a little broader than Debtors Anonymous, and and I would encourage you to look at what some of those distinctives are. 
as I treat them in my book. But the specific answer to your question is yes, there is a 12-step program called Debtors Anonymous, uh, and you can get information on that online and from their book. Um, uh, Jeremy, are you still there? Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Um, Did you already? Uh, be- I'm sorry. Go ahead. Did you already begin to put something in place and it wasn't working, or you're looking for something to put in place? Well, um, we um, started a cooperative with uh, Tougaloo College here in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, and mm-hmm. we've got a couple of components in place. But we're also identifying, like you said, the the social um, disparities that are involved, especially within the African-American community. As it relates to technology, majority African-Americans are end users. That means right. they can, you know, they can operate a BlackBerry, iPhone, iPad, anything like that. But also being part of the National Society of Black Engineers, one of the things that we promote is, you know, entrepreneurship. Don't just be the end user. Be be the beginning starter. Be the be the starter. Right. Right. You know, go out and start up some of these some of these companies, especially as, as, as it relates to technology, because that's according to some of the books that I've been reading. Uh, the Third Industrial Revolution by Jeremy Rapkin, uh, Pedagogy of the Oppressed by Paulo Freire. Um, you know, you have to tackle that oppression. Um, and one of the ways to tackle oppression is to basically raise up out of it through financial independency. Right. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. And uh, it's it's absolutely positively true that we have to change the way we think. Jeremy? Yes, ma'am. Yes, I just wanted to know if you're still there. You're so quiet. Oh, well, I'm, I'm, I'm just listening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm trying to gain as much as much knowledge and, and wisdom as I can. <laughs> but uh, we we started this project. Um, uh, it's been going on a year now, and we're finally into the final phases of actually implementing it. We'll start implementing it in January, and that's one of the major components. I represent the green industry, uh, renewable industry side. But at the same time, we cannot foster a renewable energy industry without individuals that, um, one, meet the educational criteria and also have the financial uh, ability to, you know, step away from whatever the job they're in, at the same time be bolstered, you know, have, have the confidence to step away and step into something that's, that's new and is, is still, you know, the, the groundwork is still being laid, but you got to, sometimes you got to dare to dare. Yeah, um, and that's, and, and that's, why, that's yeah. why I believe that to accomplish this, we really have to do it in groups. You know, to ask people to step out on their own by themselves can be more than people can handle. handle. <laughs> and, excuse me, and that's why we need uh, organizations like yours and we need people to commit themselves to forming groups, either informal or formal groups. Uh, if you go to my website, BillionDollarPayDown.com, uh, what you'll notice mm-hmm. is that we've invested heavily in allowing people to invite their friends to get out of debt with them. 
because it can be a daunting task. It can be frightening. Investing money, uh, changing stations, uh, going to classes, uh, engaging in new ventures, it can be tough. I mean, I went through this process by myself, and I, I did it by myself, frankly, because I was at a stage in my life where people thought I had money, but I didn't. And I was too embarrassed for them to find out. And so I said, well, let me change the truth before people find out the truth. <laughs> but, but, but I think uh, when, we can, when we can offer people uh, environments that are nurturing and encouraging and help them when they fall, et cetera, then, um, then I think they're more likely to be successful. But trying yeah. it alone can be tough, very well, tough. Yeah. Do you think... Do you think that, and, and Jeremy, this question could even um, go go to you in, in terms of you're dealing with the college population. Are people willing to just come out and say um, to to each other, to their friends, to strangers, "Hey, I'm in debt. Let's let's form an organization and let's um let's let's sort of mine ourselves out of this debt. How do we do it? Let's let's look for some mate ways and means." Are people it's, willing it's to openly? It's, 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 it's a social stigma that is attached right. to it. You know, the I'm broke. Well, then you know you you ain't getting your money right. You need to you need you need to get your money up. You know, you need to do whatever you got to do. And you know, in a lot of cases, that means hustle. So, if you're talking to somebody, especially in the younger generation, the only thing they know to hustle is either you know drugs or or you know beats or something along that nature. You know, we right. we come across and say, if you want to hustle, we'll show you how to hustle the old school way which that means, you know, you're going to have to pick up an extra job. You might have to work at McDonald's or, or Pizza Hut or something like that. But, you know, it's reliable. You know it's going to be coming in. And it's going to be hard work, but nothing easy is ever worth having. Uh, family? Um, man. Brother Forrest? Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't want to interrupt. Brother. Um, go ahead, Brother. Finish your point. Then I have a couple of questions from uh, our chat room. But, you know, I'll be coming to Jackson. Um, I'm either coming to Tougaloo or Jackson State sometime later on this year. And if you go to my website and give me an email address, we'll let you know when I'm coming. Oh, great, great, great. I work with, uh, we also work with New Horizon Church and uh, Bishop Crudup. They're on the uh, Jackson Solar Alliance uh, board. Good. So, but thank you. Thank you for your time and, 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 and your consideration in these matters. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, family. I'm going to read a comment first. It's always interesting for my chat room. We have a lot of people in the chat room that are chatting up a song for the comments. Listen, what I'm hearing. Uh, somebody just put another comment. Move that comment out of the way. I'm listening. What I'm hearing, family, very informational. And then the question that we have is from our favorite brother Jason uh, Queens. How do you influence the culture of while allowing the pure monetizers. Um, Brother Forrest, if it's okay with you, I'm going to um, reread that because uh, your 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 audio is not very clear. So um, Jason from Queens says, uh, how do we influence the culture of spending without allowing the cure to become monetized as well? Uh, we have to be we have to be sacrificial. Um, in a word, you know, one of the reasons I visit so many college campuses 
as a speaker is because they can't afford their real leaders. Um, black leadership has become such a business that black people can't even afford black leaders. Mm. At some point, black people who have information, knowledge, and resources have to share freely with those who don't. The website that 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 I um, the website that I put together, I paid for myself. Now I'm getting some sponsorships from corporations that don't don't have products that rip our people off. But I mean, I think I think I think we have to be committed enough to our people to not need monetization to do what we have to do. That if everything is monetized, then we'll never be free. You know, and and I made a commitment years ago that I would I would never let anybody come to my funeral and say we wanted him at our church or our organization or our school and we couldn't afford him. Uh, so that's just that's now I'm a public speaker. I, I make I make a decent living giving speeches, but I but I, but I've never told someone this is how much you have to pay me in order to get me to come. So the way you avoid monetization is is by having people who are willing to serve serve. You know, that's a very good point because we we have often uh, traditionally in in our community have given information out, um, given knowledge out. In in the early days, it was through the church or through some type of structured organization where people become members. Today, um, information is just disseminated freely um, many times uh, through the Internet. You can search any any topic and come up with a whole list of websites to go to. And this is something that you and I have talked about um, before. There is so much information out there for people who just want to um, become free or look into different um, credit management situations because when a person is overwhelmed, they know that they, they're overwhelmed, and chances are they know that it was their behavior that got them that way. They may not um, admit the problem, but they know. They know that they went to the store and they bought something and they couldn't afford it and they thought they were going to make the payments and they haven't made the payments, so they know. Now, um, with all this information, Available still, the credit problem is 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 overwhelming. So we have ways of getting information to people without, as this uh, person in the chat room, Jason, talked about monetizing it. But since the information is there, people are not using it. So how do we bring it back to our earlier conversation? Well, how do we get people there to 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 just roll their sleeves up and just get involved, take action, and make a change in their life. Yeah, it's got to happen on a grassroots level. It's got to be people, um, people, as we say in the church, witnessing to people. You know, think about the Montgomery bus boycott. I mean, when Rosa Parks got arrested in 1955, for 384 days, black people boycotted the buses. I mean, they walked to work rather than... To, um, to break stride with the community, and that's what we need. We need it. We need a grassroots consensus. It can't come from the top down. It can't come from some black messiah. It's got to come from people connecting with people, connecting with people. 
when I connect with people, my, my when when and if I am effective, it's not because of my title or my background or my position. It's because I've been there. And w- w- when people listen to me, they don't listen to me because of my degrees. They listen to me because my story is their story. And when people are willing to be transparent enough to tell their story, and if their story can be descriptive of how they got from where they were to where they are, then, other, then it's accessible to other people. I mean, the fact is I'm not, I'm not telling you what I learned in school or church. I'm telling you what I learned as a result of being in slavery to debt for 15 years. Mm. I got my first credit card when I was 18 years old, and I, this is how my book is written. Uh, and 18 years old, I thought my first credit card was a gift from God until I got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper in debt until... Until 15 years later, I realized that that I, I was living a miserable life, and both of my dead grandmothers, who who grew up in the 1900s as black women raising children virtually by themselves, both of them had done better than I had. And the question I had to ask was this: If both of my grandmothers could die and leave all of us real estate paid for, then shame on me if when I die, all I have to leave my kids is credit card bills. And in the black community, we've got to ask ourselves that question. How how could black people start colleges and maintain colleges a uh, hundred years ago that we can't even keep open today? Hmm. Hmm. Well, I, I, I wanted to um, in, ask Brother James, does he have a question or comment? Absolutely. Uh, first of all, I want to say, Dr. Story, uh, everything that you say is so relevant. Is it me or can anyone hear, Brother James? All right, hold on a moment. Hold on. I'm sorry, can you hear me now? Oh, yeah, perfectly. Okay. I was saying that, first of all, I want to thank you for all that you're saying to us because it's relevant and it's right on time. And I believe, um, you know, there's an old saying that uh, when uh, people want to know how much you care before, you know, before they know how much you know, we can tell by you know the uh, the energy that you bring to the table that you care about black people and the condition that we're in. So I believe this will be the opening. Uh, when they hear what you know about freeing yourself from debt, they're going to also feel how much you care about freeing us from debt. And I think we, once this movement begins, and I believe if we look at the college campuses uh, in the 1960s, the, the the and even in the 70s the cultural revolution started on the campuses with young people aspiring for change and um we may need to look at that same formula again visiting the uh the universities and getting the uh study groups together you know for students who already be, are uh are, are being taught how to get in debt and see you can come with the antidote and say well listen uh the easiest way to get out of debt is not to get into debt. Right. Here's a program. So I think for any of the listening audience, if you're connected to college campuses or you have uh, uh, children there in college or you yourself as a student, I think this would be a great way to connect with Dr. Reverend Sorries, bring about a program that can help enrich your life and free you from debt. Well, you're exactly right. I have... Uh a college strategy that I'm building, I'm trying to raise 
some money so that I can get to these college uh, campuses, particularly the black college campuses, without charging them anything. The problem we have, we have two problems. One, uh, our black colleges cannot afford uh, to pay people to come to their schools and talk to their kids. And when, you know, the white schools pay fifteen, twenty, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to give a speech, and so many of our great minds gravitate to the money. Uh, the other problem is many of our young people, to the extent that the colleges do have money, they'd rather, they'd rather pay uh, hip-hop artists to come and entertain them than to pay someone to come and empower them. So I'm trying to get my own money to get to these schools. I am going to Shaw. Uh, I'm going to uh, Morgan, and I'm going to – there's another school somewhere. I can't remember sometime this year, to talk to them about a D-free campus strategy. Now, part of our college student appeal is to get help from them to go after the payday lenders. I mean, let, let's not forget, and I think Sister Rafika said this earlier, uh, this is harder than it seems because the, these, these marketing strategies are very sophisticated. I mean, you talked about the college students, uh, Brother James. When you, when you go to college, there are tables, first day you're there, there are tables there with good-looking boys and girls standing behind them. They give you free T-shirts, they give you mugs, and they, and, they, and they sign you for credit cards. And the schools are paid for each student that signs up for a credit card. So the school has a vested interest in the students getting a credit card. The students enjoy getting the credit cards. And today, the average college student that graduates from college has over $20,000 in student loan debt and over $2,000 in credit card debt. So you're right. We have to get to the college students. But uh, what I want to do is not only get them involved in protecting themselves from credit card debt, but also to help us fight the predatory payday loan industry, payday lenders, in America have more stores to sell 400% um, uh, short-term loans than McDonald's and Starbucks combined. I'm going to say that again slowly. There are more payday loan stores in America than there are McDonald's and Starbucks stores combined. And a payday, a payday loan is a loan that you take out and you have to pay it back on payday. And they charge you the equivalent of 390% interest on average. Some charge five to 600% interest. And they are proliferating around this country. They're in low-income neighborhoods. They target low-income people. Rich people don't need a two-week loan. And it's another reason our people have to become much more aggressive about economic justice because uh, we, 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 are, we are the victims of predators. The payday loan is the crack cocaine of the financial services industry. So I'm inviting college students to do in this age what college students did, as you cited, back in the civil rights days, and that is to help us. We're picketing payday loan stores. I've been to four states already picketing payday loan stores. I'm going to Birmingham, Alabama, week after next to fight payday lending. In Pennsylvania, there's a law pending in the legislature to give uh, check cashing facilities the right to do payday loans. And so, if we don't, if we don't, if we're not careful, the, the poor people will will be double and triple uh, taxed 
through products that are predatory and economic policies, while while the people that own these schemes are getting richer and richer. Um, okay. the, college campus, the college campus is a priority, no question about that. Sister yeah. uh, Rafika? Yes, we have, a call from, we have a call from Texas, 832-887. Has a question? Go ahead, you're live. Assalamualaikum and good evening. I recognize this voice. <laughs> this is Sister Gidget calling from Texas, and I, I want to commend you on the show, but I also had a question because I, I'm, I've been listening since the beginning, and I understand that our guest speaker, and I want to pronounce his name correctly, is it stories or stories? Stories. Okay, yes, sir. Good evening to you, and welcome to our Nation Building Blog Talk Show. Um, I have a question. You know, I've heard you talk about getting out of debt, but, you know, I I work real closely with children, especially those in the juvenile system, and some of these children have impeccable skills, I mean business skills, and some of them are sadly to say that they are street pharmaceutical technicians or whatever you want to call them. However, when it comes to investing or when it comes into going into business for self, in this day and time, what do you suggest? What businesses should they be gravitating towards, and uh, what should we as a people be now investing in? Yes, thank you. Thank you for the question. Uh, I encourage people to do, uh, the first thing to do is to, to identify what you do so well that somebody would pay you to do it. I mean, before we look at what's happening in the world, we have to look at what's happening in ourselves. What what do you do so well that somebody would pay you to do it, whether it's cooking, whether it's selling, whether it's writing, whether it's building? Every Every human being does something better than anything else they do. So you start there. And then the other question is, that's your skill. The other question is, what... What do you do so well? I mean, what do you love doing so much that if you didn't need any money, you would do it for free? You know, what's your passion? When you when you find your skill and your passion, then you're very close to what kind of business you should be involved in. We have a guy in our church who who uh, has some blemishes on his record and has some issues from his past. But this this guy washes cars the way um, Minister Farrakhan speaks. I mean, he is just a prolific <laughs> car. This this man can clean a car better than Michelangelo can paint a picture. And he loves doing it. Now, because of his background, we've had a very difficult time helping him find a job because, as you know, people don't want to take chances on our kids the way they took chances on Martha Stewart coming out of jail. So what we did was we helped him set up a mobile car wash. He's got a truck. He's got water on the truck. He's got wax. He's got all of what he needs on the truck. And since he can't get a job working at a place, he now has a business working for himself. And the only the only requirement we gave was when young brothers come out of jail or they're on the streets and they're trying to get started like you did, give them a job. Now the plan is to get him five trucks 
And it, with five trucks, this brother can make $2,000 a day washing cars. So, so, so I think we have to start with we have to start with um, where our skill set lies, where our passion lies, and then link that to to uh, opportunity. Now, I noticed the call came from Texas. One of the interesting things about uh, being in Texas that there are there are places in Texas that are better for our people than here. Uh, I've had to encourage many of our people, uh, even members of my church, not to limit their sights on where they are. There's a town in North Dakota that is booming with oil. They have a one percent unemployment rate, and they can't they can't fill the jobs fast enough. And I'm a great believer in people going to where the jobs are or going to where the opportunities are when the opportunities exist. I just told you about the young fellow with the car wash. I have a friend in Ohio who likes the idea, and we're going to figure out a way to help our young friend go to Ohio to help them start a mobile car wash there. I mean, we've got to begin thinking about our skill, our passion, and our opportunities. I have a church of some size. Uh, every woman in our church uh, gets her nails done at least once a month, yet no woman in our church owns a nail shop. I don't get that. I don't, I don't understand why uh, we today are still um, mystified by by the opportunities that exist right among us. So I, I just think I think we should be investing in ourselves and each other, and we should be looking for the opportunities that everybody else seems to find when they come to our communities. You know, uh, they own gas stations, they own pizza parlors, they own Chinese food, they sell us chicken wings. We've got more Chinese people selling us chicken wings than we than we sell ourselves chicken wings. So I just think we have to really begin looking at the basics because there's a lot of money to be made in the basics. Hello, family. Yeah. Uh, can you hear me well this time? Oh, yeah, your phone's a little distorted. Is, is, our, is our phone still distorted? Oh, that's much better. Okay, here we go. We have our good brother, Black DJ Black Caesar from the South. Uh, he has a question. Insurance is a provider of auto, home, and life insurance for consumers, as well as risk and disability products and services for businesses. Because the responsibility is integral to, to who we are, what should we invest in now, brother? This question is for you, Dr. Sorry. What should we invest in? Right. He was he's referring to stocks of well, of any stocks of any kind uh, or what should oh, we invest in. Oh, okay. Good. Stocks. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Yes, well, I, I'm a great believer in the stock market if you have time. And by, by time, I mean seven years or more. If you have $1,000 and you're going to need that $1,000 in the next seven years, I would say stay away from the stock market. But if you've got more than seven years, uh, I would I would urge us to consider our options to invest in the stock market, not in individual stocks but in mutual funds. Now, I didn't know what a mutual fund was until I was 32 years old, but a mutual fund is basically a fund that selects individual stocks for you. And so... What you do is you invest in a particular type of fund. There are some funds that focus on international stock. 
There are some funds that focus on technology companies. There are some funds that focus on uh, what you call small cap companies. There are some funds that are tied, they're index funds. They are tied to the uh, overall growth or or lack of growth in the stock market itself. The Dow Jones Industrial would be an index fund. And so what I would what I would urge us to do is to invest in those funds. <clears throat> Excuse me. You can research the fund. You can see how well the fund has done over the last uh, month, over the last year, over the last five years, ten years, or since it began. And uh, and then what you want to do is diversify. For instance, I have four different types of funds. I have an international fund, I have a growth fund, and two other funds. And so most of us won't have enough money to really dump a lot of money into a particular stock. We don't have the time or the capacity to do the research. But we can invest in a fund, and it can be uh, as easy as $1,000 to open a mutual fund account. And you can do that and then track the fund because most of these funds will grow over time, but you have to have time. So my advice is that you invest in a fund managed by a professional and you research the fund to see how well it's done in in the past. If you have $4,000, I'd say, you know, find four different types of funds, put $1,000 in each, and, and make sure you monitor what they're doing. You know, I want to um, thank you for that information about the uh, investment and the funds. I um, wanted to go back to a comment you were making along with Brother James, and I guess the caller Jeremy uh, initiated that line of, of thinking in that we have to bring this program of DFREE to the college um, um, age ages. But I want to take it a step further in that all of us that have young children in the school system, K through 12, um, should recognize that the um, financial um, <clears throat> controllers, and I'm only going to give it that name because I don't really know who put this program in place, but children as young as third grade, um, and I would, I would assume it's second grade as well, but children as, long, as young as uh, third grade, uh, and that, that is about... Um, I forgot the age group for that right now, but I'll come back to that. They are being indoctrinated or acclimated in using credit to purchase lunch. And um, the system in place is that the child is assigned a number, and that's their PIN number. And when they go to lunch, um, these parents that pay, that prepay for lunch, the parent puts a certain amount of money monthly in the child's account, and the child goes to the, uh, in the cafeteria, goes through the, um, let's say, the milk area, the juice area, and the uh, food area, and picks out the items that they want. They then take it to the cashier, and they give the cashier their PIN number. Mm. And this is, um, it was never uh, discussed with, uh, I'm going to give myself an example, it was never discussed with me saying in advance that um, do you um, agree or um, is it okay if I give your child a PIN number and um, begin to teach your child about credit. 
So yeah. now my child is is in is in a higher grade, and for the past three years, he's been using his, the same pen number to purchase um, whatever food items <clears throat> that he wants. So there's a bunch of decisions involved in this process that there was no class in for in third grade <clears throat> where uh, children were taught what is credit, what is this pen number, and not only that, how to budget the money. So whereas we're talking about that, we have to really buckle down and bring this awareness to colleges and give them some check and balances and, and, and give them a program, but we need to go even deeper to elementary school because this is where it's starting. By the time this generation, this elementary school generation goes to college, credit, it, it, is, it is how they do business. Yeah, that's true, and and it's becoming even more sinister because now through our smartphones we're able to check out items in the grocery market and in stores, and the, the, the technology is making it easier to spend, and I think that's your point. And to the extent that it's easier to spend, it becomes harder to control your spending, and we've got to really uh, almost inoculate our people in light of where the culture is going. No question about it. It's, it's a comprehensive. Listen, I, I wish I had this, this on the front end, but uh, to be honest with you, this, this specific work as a project started for me at my church because so many of my members were having trouble. And as a result of the members having trouble paying their bills, the church was having trouble paying its bills, and there was mounting pressure on me to get more money out of our people and I had to tell the leaders in my congregation, I'm not a fundraiser. But the more I saw the, the challenge, the more I realized that the solution was not to get more money out of our people, but the challenge was to help our people get out of debt. And I made a strategic decision at my church in 2005, and that was to make helping our members get out of debt my priority as a minister. And, and, and my faith said that if we helped our members get out of debt, the members would help the church get out of debt, and 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 essentially the rest is history. And then CNN came along and and put us on full blast in uh, 2010 and did the documentary Almighty Debt for Black in America. And I wrote the book, and now I'm doing a workbook, and we're developing our online curriculum and trying to build out because the problem is such an immense problem, and it, and it, it does require so many different layers and levels of uh, engagement that uh, I think there's more work to do than I realized in the beginning. Okay, um, Dr. Rafika, uh, we have some uh, comments coming from the chat room that I need to share with you. Can you hear me clearly? Yes. Okay, here we go. Uh, Brother Jeremy came back and I... <laughs> He was asking, what about, uh, have we considered, um, I'm sorry, so, many, so much stuff coming in. Uh, here we go. One of the best uh, funding platforms right now is the crowding crowd for, uh, platform, a crowd fund. And uh, he asked, have you, have you considered that, either uh, projected base or business uh, startup uh, capital? And Brother Jason asks, what about investing in business in Africa? 
Uh, I'm going to give you those two, and then when you, if you answer those two, then I'll come back with uh, there's two more that uh, I think you might want to answer. Well, let me start with Africa because I didn't really get the first question. Um, we, we're working in Ghana right now. My 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 big project right now in Ghana. Uh, two projects. One is we are helping a group of young Ghanaians fund a transportation strategy where we're buying cars for uh, Ghanaian brothers who will drive those cars as taxis, and we've structured the financing so that after two years of driving the car as a driver, they will own the car and the business. So it's a, it's a drive-to-own scheme. One of the big opportunities in Ghana is uh, for taxi business. But the young Ghanaian brothers don't have the startup capital to buy the car to start their company. And so rather than have uh, all of Accra be um, taken over by foreigners who come into Ghana to take advantage of the opportunities, we're helping young Ghanaian brothers um, do a taxi business there. We're involved in building a housing development in, in Chebi. Chebi is halfway between Accra in Kamasi in Ghana, and uh, developing some housing for the employees that work in the hospital there. And then we're helping a young sister with a tomato farm that she started in in rural Ghana. Uh, and then finally, in both Ghana and Liberia, we'll be financing a micro lending program to help to help our people have get small business loans to start their own business down in Liberia. Um, I am am primarily working in Liberia and in Ghana. I would urge all African Americans to consider doing something. Right now, the biggest investors in Africa are the Chinese. And I'm not angry at the Chinese, but it would seem that African Americans uh, would have as great an interest in Africa as as the Chinese. Uh, And then in Jamaica and Haiti, we're also doing work there uh, through my foundation. What was the first question, Brother James? I I didn't get the question says more of a comment of recommending the crowdfunding uh, platform for either product projected based or business startup. uh, It's encouraged. That was Brother Jeremy. He was just making a comment, not so much a question. And um, uh, one of our brothers from Nation Building made a comment about uh, what's happening in the well, again, another opportunity to invest in China, uh, in different spots around the world. But uh, you basically answered all the questions, I think, for the chat room. Uh, so I'm just going to let you go ahead because, uh, since my people, we are down to uh, almost 15 minutes left in the show. So I want to let you two go ahead and, and wrap it up. And uh, thank you so much, Dr. Soyes. Thank you. Um, There there are a number of crown fundings, uh, Rafika. I don't know which crown funding is being referred to in the question. That's why I can't address it. Yeah, I'm I'm not clear on on that either. Maybe if Jeremy wants to call back in and delve a little deeper into that, you know, that would be great. Um, But while we're waiting for Jeremy to call back in, I wanted to come back to the conversation about um, tithing. I don't want time to run out, and we don't have a chance to address that. Um, you know, when when you get to the point where you want to be debt-free, 
why is tithing or understanding giving important? Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, level four of our D3 strategy is giving back. Not only giving back to people, but giving back to ministries, organizations, and movements. Uh, it's important for the following reasons. Number one, tithing as a principle assumes that you give 10% of your income to the ministry to which you belong. And uh, it's a discipline, first of all. It's, it's gratitude in the, second, in the second sense, that we give back to God-ordained work because we believe that our ability to earn money comes from the strength we get from God. You know, we give a waiter 15% as a tip just for bringing us food that somebody else made and somebody else cooked. Mm. Uh, yet people often object to the idea that we would give back to God 10% of what God made and gave us the ability to earn. <clears throat> it's also it's also a discipline. When I when I am committed to giving away, uh, giving back to God the first 10% of what I earn, it means that I'm much more careful because I'm cognizant of what I do with the other 90%. I mean, our our vision is that people would would tie 10% of their income, that they would save 10% of their income, and they would invest. 10% of the income, which means that we're urging people to live off of 70% of their income. If you live off of 70% of your income, you'll have money for emergencies, you'll have money for retirement, you'll have money for savings and for your future, and you will support the ministries and organizations that support you. You know, Jewish people, I think, are the ultimate role models in taking care of their own. And we, we are the only people who expect our enemy to finance our movements. Mm. We, we mm. are the only people that, that expect corporations and philanthropies and others to support our colleges and our civil rights groups. If, if the NAACP had depended on black people, uh, it would have closed down 50 years ago. And so I believe that, that the nation and the church and the institutions <clears throat> that are building our communities need the support of our people. Now, if the institution to which you belong doesn't deserve that kind of support, you should leave. But if you say you belong, and if you say you're committed, and if you say you support, then you ought to do like Jewish people do, and that is put your money where your mouth is. I went to speak at a Jewish congregation one Friday night, and I was alarmed because they didn't take up an offering. And I couldn't figure out what was going on. And the rabbi told me, no, we don't take up an offering. Our people just mail in their contributions. Well, if we yeah. didn't take up an offering at our church on a Sunday morning, we'd go out of business. And that's <laughs> how committed Jewish people are to their cause. Until we become that committed, mm. we will not only tithe, but do it even when we're not, uh, when we're not in, in, in session, then, then we, 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 will, we will suffer the consequences. So I, I believe I believe in, in tithing, which is at least 10% of my income should go back to the church or the ministry or the movement that I, be, that I say I believe in, that if you believe in something and are not willing to fund it, then, then I believe you're, you're, you're just talking. You know, I, I agree with you fully on that, and I, and I, and I laughed a moment, and not, not in that I'm taking this in any kind of um, non-seriously because it is serious, but 
One thing I also want to stress, and then I want to, uh, we need to go to commercial, but before we go to commercial, when we're talking about budgeting your money and you broke it down, we want to want our listening audience to know that we're not talking to people that have six-digit incomes. We're talking about people that have from $10,000 in annual to 80000 to 100000 that we want to bring it down to, to, the, to everybody and know that it doesn't matter how much money you make. If you make $700 a month, you should have a budget. You should know where your money goes. You should be able to say at the end of the day, I spent $50 here, and you should track your money. You should know where your money goes, and that's that's the beginning to the first step. And before you comment, uh, Dr. Soares, uh, I know you have more to say. We're going to go to commercial, and we come back. I'd like to talk a little more about the billion-dollar challenge. Okay. Brother Soares? Okay. Brother Forrest, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. The key unlocking the doors to unlimited possibilities. Yes. Hello. Yeah. I'm here. Hello. We're here. We're going to commercial. With your hostess, Sister Rafika Muhammad. Go ahead. Uh, yes, Dr. Soares, um, we're going to be uh, wrapping up shortly. Uh, we do have about maybe 12 more minutes or so. And I, I don't want you to leave without really going deeper into the whole billion-dollar challenge movement and, and letting people know where they can go to sign up for the, for the challenge. Oh, thank you. Um as, as I've traveled around the country for the last couple of years, it, it occurred to me that we really do need a way for our people to target a goal, to work together, and, and to really have a tool to help us get there. So, so I'm issuing this billion-dollar challenge. I haven't been as public as I will be, but I'm issuing this billion-dollar challenge. I believe that if we can get 125,000 families to pay off $8,000 in debt, then that $8,000 for each family can be equal to a significant pay increase and give them opportunities to buy insurance, to invest money, to start saving money, etc. And so as I, as I have um, begun envisioning this, the first, the first task was to build a website that we could use to participate in together. And, and so the Billion Dollar Challenge website is called BillionDollarPayDown.com. That's BillionDollarPayDown. That's one word, dot com. And uh, it's live now. You can join now. You go in. You register. It's confidential. A privacy policy is on the website. You can create a username and a password. And then you set your debt reduction goals. You can list each debt. You can identify 
how much money you owe and the date by which you'd like to pay it off. And then if you want to pay it weekly or bi-monthly or monthly, the, the website will actually calculate for you how much you need to pay on your principal in order to reach your goal. Uh, the website will send you email to remind you to pay your bill. And you can't pay your bill through the site, but you can track your payments so that you can see your own progress. Then there's a tool that you can use to invite your friends. You, you can invite your friends to join the challenge. You can form a group so that a group of your friends or a group of your church members or a group of your sorority sisters can, can work on paying off your debt together. You can have a group goal, and we encourage people to celebrate as you reach your goals. Then you can form a subgroup, like at my church. My church is a group, but then my choir, my ushers, my deacons, my youth, they form subgroups on the site under my church so that you, you, you can have a large organization with chapters or branches or locations that become subgroups, all a part of one larger community uh, paying off debt. Again, being free of debt is not a goal. Being free of debt is a first step towards reaching your financial goals. There is no financial goal that we have that is possible if you're drowning in debt. And so whether it's starting your own business, buying your first home, paying off your car, whatever your goals are that involve money, uh, paying off your debt is the first step towards that goal. So the billion-dollar challenge, I'm inviting organizations to partner with us uh, and to use the site as their own. You can use the Billion Dollar Challenge website as your own website. You can form a group under your mosque. You can form a group under your company. You can form a group under your family, or you can just join individually. And every dollar of debt that's paid off is registered a, on a counter. And on the, on the uh, home page of the site, you'll see how much debt we're paying off collectively. I have not launched the site publicly yet meaning I have not done uh, any major national publicity. But as of today, before we even launch publicly, uh, I think we have on the site registered about $176,000 of debt that's been paid off. So it's, a, it's an online movement. It's, it's a network, a national network. It's completely secure. Nobody can see anybody else's business. So we can see the results of our debt reduction activities on the home page. So I'm very excited about it. We should launch it publicly sometime in September. We're getting celebrity endorsements. We're getting organizations to, to join in. And I think it's, uh, it's an idea whose time has come. Is there, is there a fee, uh, Dr. Story, for signing up on that uh, billion? Oh, no, everything, everything's free. And you said, now give me the name of it again because I keep calling it Billion Dollar Challenge. I don't want to confuse people. Yeah, the website, the challenge is, is, is the Billion Dollar Challenge, but the website is called BillionDollarPayDown.com. And on the home page of the website, I give a two-minute summary video of what the challenge is about. And so uh, you can go there and see the video. But it's Billion okay, Dollar now, all I have to do, All I have to do is to log on and, and sign up and indicate how much money or how much debt I want to pay down, and I can become a part of this movement of, right. of down debt. It's free. It's secure and it's free. It's a good way to track your debt reduction 
uh, electronically and join a national movement of other people doing the same thing. Okay, well, I, I think that's very exciting, and that certainly is a first step. Um, also, there's, there's some feedback going on. Brother Forrest, is Jeremy still on the line? Or would, I, I don't want to keep him holding if he has something he wants to say. Yes, ma'am. We have a two followers. Just hold one second, please. Okay. Uh, Eric 601, you're alive. Eric 601, yeah, I'm, I'm here. 342, you're alive. Uh, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Is this Jeremy? Yes, this is Jeremy. Jeremy, can you spell the name of your organization? Um, the name of the organization is uh, Greater Jackson. Solar Alliance. Alliance. Okay. Go ahead with your question. Uh, well, I, actually, I was just calling back to kind of um, clarify what the crowdfunding um, is all about. Um, in in Dr. Soris's, uh endeavors, uh, you can link into a crowdfunding site depending upon the type of project that you might have. We uh, operate off a crowdfunding site per project uh, because we're in a construction or brick-and-mortar industry. But if they also have crowdfunding sites that are allocated just for startups. Um, startups, um, along with any other business, you have to have a, 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 a business plan, an in-depth business plan. You have to have board members. Um, you have to have somebody that, that has experience. But what we did was we went through uh, one of the local churches, which would which would be New Horizons Church in Jackson, Mississippi, and was able to work with them on bringing in some other members from the church that were with um, that were either retirees, had owned their own businesses, or was with Jackson State um, in the School of Business and Economics, and we were able to pull together uh, a wealth of knowledge and then also incorporate the business students and have them kind of intern because it also develops their resumes at the same time, reaching out to these individuals in the community that had, you know, good ideas and and good business sense. So the crowdfunding is, is one of the, the best ways. Um, but I, I left some on, on the uh, on the website. Uh, I named a few, Megafunder, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, um, and then you could also uh, – um, search on the internet for crowdfunding platforms, um, and, and most of them are global. So, uh, you Jeremy, your your phone is thing, and if you could uh, leave Brother Forrest some contact information uh, for you, and maybe yes, we can uh, just begin to talk about the idea of bringing you on as as a potential guest and talk a little bit about that. I'm sure the audience would like to know what is that crowdfunding about, and um, Reverend um, Dr. Sorries. And uh, the listening audience, we are we're beginning to come to a near close of our show. And I just wanted to iterate, reiterate to the um, listening audience that the name of the Forest Stories book is D Free, Breaking Free from Financial Slavery. It's available on Amazon. I highly recommend that you get the book. I think we're going to consider bringing Dr. Stories back. Um, on the show at, at his convenience to open up the phone lines and have some more dialogue about this new movement that's happening in our community and hopefully nationally and internationally as we begin 
to look at ourselves as debtors and, and make a commitment for change. And as we're getting ready to close out, uh, Brother Forrest, I'd like to just moment and say uh, thank you. Thank you, Brother James. Thank you, Forrest, for giving us your time. Thank um, the audience for giving us your time. Digit, um, for having the um, fortitude in the show to come to be. And um, we'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, Moon 107.